0: Before this week's episode, I want to tell you about starting out. It's Digiday's latest podcast hosted by our very own Shireen Bhattuk. We talk to leaders in the marketing industry about the ideas that inform their prominent voices and big decisions in the business today. We have had guests like G.E.'s and Deboff, BNG's Mark Pritchard, and agency leaders like Jeff Goodby and Wendy Clark. Find out more at digiday.com or subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango, and this episode is our session from the Digiday Programmatic Marketing Summit that we recently held in New Orleans, Louisiana. Brands are building internal programmatic expertise and 2018's investment mandate increasingly seems to be this, get programmatic talent in-house. Here's Paul Gelb, the head of programmatic, and social at bear. He argues that marketing waste from fraud or viewability issues is nothing compared to what happens because of wrong processes, policies, and tactics among trading desks. And the solution? Bring programmatic in-house. Take a listen.
1: So you've been part of uh, all sort of parts of the ecosystem, but you were, in, you were on the agency side. So let's talk about the difference being now on the client side versus the agency side?
2: Let's, uh, it's a little bit different to be the client than, uh, <laughs> than to be the agency, but uh, I definitely have a unique perspective um, and I've had an interesting career path where I've been pretty much everywhere starting the agency side uh, in between where a brand uh, makes an ad to it where it gets delivered. So exchange, data part, uh, wall garden and Twitter. Um, so I've seen every business model. And I think when I left the agency side, I think so it was five or six years ago, Um, and I think there were certain challenges that the agency model uh, had and and I understood their numbers pretty well and how they staff and what goes on behind the scenes. So that perspective, I think, um, allows for a lot more uh, candid discussions and then also ways that we understand how their business works and we try and find the right model mm-hmm. um, of being able to contribute to that conversation. But but,
1: is there one thing that you th- think now that you didn't fully appreciate when you were not on the client side? Um, I,
2: I think, I didn't, I didn't know how much time and money was actually spent trying to make the agency model work or, or preserve that, and how much um, effort it would take to uh, change a model and bring something in house or put an account to review. Uh, that is not a light thing. If you think about a and g that had an agency since 1945, it's not a snap decision. And so mm-hmm. all the ways that uh, an agency has become entangled into the business operations, um, uh, you know, I don't know that you fully get that perspective. When you're on the agency side, I think you're, you're hearing a lot more about procurement, cutting your costs, et cetera. Um, but there is definitely a lot of uh, time and money investment in trying to make it work.
1: Okay. So what are you doing in-house?
2: Um, so uh, what we um, found out at Bayer, I think, uh, in, in the past few years, we used to be on, on Zaxis, uh and it was predominantly a TV marketer. And the way that Bayer is, is looking um, at the space is, uh, is from a, a probably a 200 year perspective. So Bayer started in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, actually making dyes for cotton clothes. Uh, and so they looked at their initial uh, business as being efficient in manufacturing cheaply um, a, a product and then became really good at distributing through companies like Walmart and big retailers and they became really good at efficiently building out new products. So uh, Bayer is, is looking at the space as their business is going to be um, win or lose based on media and data. Uh, the top five largest companies in the world, um, have changed only recently. For 60, 70 years, it was all Industrial Revolution winners, and now it's all companies that deal with advertising and data. Amazon makes all its profits from media and data and cloud services, nothing on e-commerce. Our biggest retailers have all opened up media businesses from the Walmart Media Group to uh, Target, so we are now at least bringing in platform expertise uh, from analytics to measurement reporting to activation and platforms on our side and digital Mm -hmm. strategy, because no matter where we wind up in terms of uh, and then how structure or not, um, we don't see that there's an option to not have expertise. So this is a core competency. This isn't just some side thing. It is in all of our discussions. Our shopper team, our sales team, our brand team. If we're having a conversation with Walmart about media and data, and it's in our national broadcast, and you're talking about nine figures, we are, in the media and data business, and we need to be experts in that.
1: Okay, so how does that um, impact how you structure um, what you do in house versus what you outsource?
2: So um, I think for NoFall Their Own, for decades, uh, we didn't ask a lot of, of the agency in terms of being savvy in, in digital. It was, we were predominantly a, a television marketer. So um, we're, uh, I think, putting in a ton of effort now. We restructured our agency model to bring in essence and digital to Group M to have uh, what has been ranked as the top programmatic agency and with the thought of if if they can't put a model together um, with expertise on our side where that model works, that is the best chance. So we're not looking to cut costs, we're not looking to staff less, um, we're looking to put as much money as possible at the best option. Uh, but at the same time, um, continue to build out our expertise mm-hmm. um, and show what we could do. And what we found is, to date, we've just been directing and changing everything that they've done um, while the transition is happening. So pretty much every policy that the holding company had in place around viewability, fraud, um, optimizations, et cetera, we ripped out and replaced based on knowledge and understanding of how ad marketplaces work. And so at least putting together more information and knowledge on um, how much savings there are, What we were doing today, getting as much data as possible to make a decision on what we should be doing tomorrow. What we found is that just in seven weeks of actually being smarter in how we buy and bid and leveraging the expertise that we brought, not from any brand-side expertise, but from mostly ad tech um, uh, backgrounds, is in seven weeks, we reduced our cost of media anywhere between 30 and 60%, depending on the brand. So um, that makes it uh, anywhere Mm -hmm. between seven and eight figures per in-house employee that we did, which is better than Google gets per employee on an engineer. So that's the model that we're working with and comparing against okay. whatever this agency So it's not about made.
1: saving money, but it is about the saving money.
2: Well, you have to make money at the end of the day. Yeah. That money can be reinvested in, in uh, building and developing more products. You don't want to be in a business and apples for apples buy the same thing and pay twice yeah. as much as you should.
1: But why? where was that savings coming from? What was your agency doing?
2: So. Uh, Marketplaces, when you buy it, if you're not throwing money over a wall um, at a publisher where they're uh, owning it, if I were to say I'm gonna give a million dollars to Digiday, and you were running the campaign. Let's do it. Let's do it, (laughs) you know, for science. Um, If we were to test that, you would be running that campaign. When you're doing programmatic, and when you're doing social today, it's self-service, and you're pulling levers. So um, every decision that you make impacts the supply that you could buy, and most agencies today are artificially Limiting uh, the amount of supply they're allowing their brands to to buy and not in a sophisticated way. So explain that why why would they do that? um, I Don't uh, focus a ton of time on intent. Um, I think (laughs) I think uh, we look more at um, uh, Just understanding how a a, a Marketplace works. I think some things are rigor and time. Um, I think other things are just not understanding how certain decisions impact a bidding marketplace and it might not be the the right expertise that was was in the room where people who have worked at exchanges and startups and ad networks who have managed margin understand exactly what every decision means in terms of what your cost is. For Apple's, Apple's the same um, inventory. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just take a, a database approach. We have metrics that we measure that are related to business metrics. We don't care about viewability rate. I care about what I cost Me uh, a viewable impression. I, I set the right metrics, and then we test, and then we scale. And I think that was initially done. There's a lot of um, decisions made off of I feel, I believe, or reaction to a, a article and a trade about fraud, et cetera. So the interesting thing is since we've um, made those changes, um, the supply we could buy on has increased uh, 20x. Our fraud went down from 9% to 1% the actual viewability rate of the supply that we were buying actually increased, even though we aren't tracking and, and going, um, uh, targeting us a certain viewability rate, and our, and our costs went down. And so all of our metrics apples to apples, um, it was better. We, there were things that were just being done where there wasn't a lot of uh, change in optimizations day to day. It was being done once a week. Um, and so I think we're diving into dashboards, setting up processes, and buying the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because everyone can buy on E-Trade in the stock market doesn't mean that uh, you know, some people are, are buying uh, high and selling low, and some people are selling low well yeah. and buying high.
1: So, I mean, the idea would be that, and we heard this in the working group, that a, a marketer like Bear is not going to be able to track the same level of talent and expertise that an agency would have about uh, when it comes to programmatic. Is that false? So, yeah,
2: I, I would, I would uh, definitely disagree um, uh, with that. So, again, the um, I can't really speak for smaller brands with... Uh, uh, smaller budgets, but when you're at the side of a side of most CPG, OTC, telecom, uh, large brands, you're talking about those sorts of numbers, and then you're talking about savings, not only on agency fee costs, um, and productivity of uh, people who have more experience in startups and ad tech training that tend to be just more efficient with their output, and the media, um, you can compensate them extremely well and competitively to what they'd get at other big tech platforms, We're building something from scratch. We literally had nothing. Um, We were throwing dollars to the wall at Zaxa so you get to do that from scratch. Companies like Bear have amazing training and travel um, assignment programs and rotation programs. So uh, I actually think the most exciting place to be in this space now is on the brand side. I think even the big platforms like Facebook and Google, the day-to-day dealing with GDPR, and there's not a ton of of promotions, and um, you're kind of Talent the company line. I think the middle is going to get a lot harder, but if I I think there's going to be a lot of people that worked in their 20s in the startup space, are now in their 30s, there is some ageism, they have hugely valuable experience uh, in terms of the value they could bring to brands. And I think if brands are smart about uh, how they do it, the issue is not going to be the talent pool or attracting it, it's going to be about getting out of their own way and, and Quickly putting together job descriptions, a career ladder, and the right compensation, understanding the value those people uh, deliver, um, and I, I think mm-hmm. you're going to see in the next year or two um, a shift uh, towards the larger brands being able to stamp mm-hmm. it out. And this is in New York. So uh, New York, uh, Austin. I mean, I've been campaigning for New Orleans to set up a you know a, a train desk yeah. down here, but I would say. <laughs> i 'd say uh, on the you look at where there 's been a uh, significant amount of people who are essentially managing ad ops in ad tech um, or at the big tech tech platform, so if you look at l a Chicago, New York to, uh, you know, to start i wouldn 't do it uh, you know in Upper Peninsula Michigan, um, but I think if you can 't handle having an office somewhat remote and having some people uh, communicate and transition, you have a larger organizational problem and how you re- operate your your company if you can't have a specialized 10-person team to figure it out. Even Microsoft put Xbox in another building, built their product out, and was able to launch something new. So I think most companies should get better at that in addition to you know, mm-hmm. adapting to space.
0: I want to take a quick break here. If you find this session interesting, there's a lot more we can tell you about it in our event briefings. After every summit, we release a briefing on what was discussed at town halls, working groups, and state sessions. If you subscribe to Digiday Plus, you can get these briefings too. Digiday Plus is our premium subscription product, and if you subscribe, you get the Digiday magazine, event briefings, exclusive research, and invites to member events. It's only $395 a year, and if you want a 25% discount, enter the code PODCAST at checkout. To learn more, visit digiday.com, and you will see the Digiday Plus tab on the menu. Now, back to the episode.
1: How about providing a career path? I mean, that came up in, in the town hall, and I think it's probably overlooked a little bit. You might be able to recruit people, but how do you keep them? How do you provide you know, growth
2: opportunities? So I'd say you know on, on our end, it's fascinating. Nothing, a lot of what we're doing today has never been done before. So shopper marketing has been predominantly circulars, FSIs, in-store that we're now bringing into uh, tactics where we're actually targeting people who are nearby stores and only stores that have inventory at the time, measuring foot traffic and sales in real time and optimizing. So there's so much there is doing that's actually new and I think and exciting in the space. Plus you have the time to not uh, I think the opportunity to not just be in, in media but understand a business as well. So there are rotational programs, um, you know, throughout a company like Bayer where you could do a rotation in in finance, uh, being more on on the brand manager side. Um, You could expand to a different market in in Amir or or Japan. There are um, a whole education and training on leadership and and et cetera. I think um, the major brands that I've seen like Walmart and P&G and and Bayer have uh, a lot of those advantages and probably more um, work-life balance than, than some technology and, and startups as well. So I, d- I don't see um, you know the, the lack of um, engagement. I would say a lot of the Excel spreadsheets that are probably going on at agencies and a lot of the operational cost-cutting processes given their business model today, is probably a less enjoyable working environment from what I'm hearing than, mm-hmm. than what's being built on the brand side today. And uh, will GDPR impact this a- in that um,
1: I guess the idea is it'll probably thin out the number of middlemen um,
2: and that it could open up more talent. Yeah, I think the interesting thing before I joined Bear, I had around 30 um, recruiters from European ad tech companies uh, seeing if I, was, I would run and expand their business to the US for ad tech to get business there. And I think that's when I saw there must be a trend here. And I think um, you know around a year or two ago, we saw that uh, the impact of GDPR would be its Going to be a lot harder for ad tech middlemen, if it wasn't hard enough, to operate for them to comply with um, all those uh, data and privacy requirements. And so, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Twitter, the four or five, six winners um, are going to be able to operate, which means there's going to be a lot of people um, uh, who are, have, again, a significant amount of expertise that I think are going to be um, in that workforce and able uh, to be hired by brands um, probably in the next 18 mm-hmm. months. So what is the discussion internally when it comes to
1: brand safety? I know every brand says it's important.
2: So uh, Bayer's a very conservative brand. Our legal team is is robust. Um, I do not have any slides because I did not want to submit them to legal um, and differentiate myself. So um, So you have German lawyers. Yeah. We have very efficient German lawyers and uh, entrepreneurial American lawyers as well. So we get both of those. Um, and so uh, definitely for six months, you don't wanna have any, uh, any fraud issue. But I think we're also a very candid and upfront and realistic company. We take that same database and uh, methodical approach when we look at any problem. And I think we, th- we know there's never gonna be zero brand fraud risk out there. Um, but today, we it took us two weeks to redo our whitelist right now. We have a ton of scale. Um, we're not seeing fraud far there. We don't use third parties or rely on third parties for content filtering. They are auditors for us. We we basically did an evaluation. They don't have the tech or the talent to do that effectively. I'd rather rely on the platforms and use their measurement and their content filters and, you know, have the IS and most of the world audit it. So we got back fail safes there. Um, and what we've actually started to see is in, it was taking up more of my time because we've, I think we've uh, resolved and a operations and path on that, that we can manage it, where it's below 1% and really not um, significant is, um, have actually been focusing more on responding to stuff of TV buys. I think uh, the number of PR and brand safety issues as a TV buyer in the cable news space, ABC, uh, you name it, that right now we have a process where if there's an issue and someone calls out Bear on Twitter for advertising that program, in an hour, we could pull everything from those publishers mm-hmm. and that space. But TV is gonna take two or three days to pull that and we could be on a wall of shame. So I think we're thinking a lot more about the brand risk that's happening now on, on TV um, than digital. The, the one exception I think, I think is notable um, is and why we uh, you know, put our, in place is and more of an audit is we saw the agencies plugging in these third parties on top of uh, YouTube and they tended to be black boxes we couldn't resolve an issue quickly. We didn't even know what was on the whitelist. It was proprietary to them. It jacked up our price, 3X, um, and so I don't think that was necessarily the right solution. So I think we're, um, we're at a place where the trades are probably writing more about brand safety and viewability than we're thinking about it. Um, and we really moved on to how do we operationalize. We're now at an efficiency level where we're paying half the price we were. How do we get more effective um, and improve the ROI from the spend that we're doing today?
1: Okay, wanna to open up to questions? For Paul, yes.
0: You mentioned working with Essence, which is a performance agency. How much of your buying is currently happening uh, in-house versus at the agency level?
2: So Essence is handing all of our biddable stuff. So they're executing today. The difference is, is that every optimization, at least so far, um, that they're making uh, comes from me and, uh, and, and an analyst uh, for across every campaign. So we're we were able to do just division-wide um, optimizations. Some of them, the first 20 to 30 percent of savings compared to what the Mediacon PBO is doing uh, came from uh, fairly basic best practices. The next 20 to 30 came from slightly more sophisticated optimizations. Um, but it's dictated on a weekly basis, with two, three optimizations done per campaign per week. Um, and so technically, they're pulling all the levers and are signed in, but we have access to. Uh, markets to see what all the exchanges are clearing at, bid depth, uh, we have our dashboards on DBM, um, and then we are, are essentially now focusing on them coming to us with ideas on what we're not doing, what optimizations they think we should be doing, what other opportunities, but the, pa- the first five months, um, pretty much it's just been executing what uh, we've told them to do to get us in an efficient place. Okay. How much have your agency fees gone down? None, so um, that's... None. Uh, <laughs> So, um, that's an uh, interesting thing. I think being on the agency side, I I, I will say um, what a, a misstep was by the agencies, uh, it's probably been a decade in the making, was the brands who just had a procurement team that had a single uh, objective, and I would not recommend that in any business case. I think you need to have two goals or, P, or PMPs. Otherwise, you are obsessively going after one thing, and it'll get extreme and have unintended consequence so procurement had lower costs so you had a few big brands with agencies and beat them up on price and so then there are other brands who were trying to invest in our agencies and do the right thing that were then subsidizing the accounts that were that were cutting costs so um, I don't think uh, you know we don't want to pay more than, than market price but I think Bayer is actually uh, a, a pretty good partner and culture in saying that um, we want to find a way to make it work we know that you have to run a business we don't want to just Cost cut. We don't think that's going to build a, a better relationship or a better output. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we need to have a good output and not just be subsidizing other clients.
1: Yeah. Obviously, harder to run closed loop attribution for CPG. How do you evaluate performance by medium for things like display, video, social, native? And have you found a silver bullet uh, media metric that you guys try to optimize to programmatically?
2: So the, the way I look at it is that uh, when we define metrics, one of the things is, is to measure and optimize for what you can measure today. So um, first start, which is cost. And then when I say cost, I don't want something that's just cheap. I just don't want to overpay uh, for what I'm buying today in terms, of, um, in terms of viewable impressions that are out there and, and, and reach. Um, we do sales lift studies, um, the ability to consolidate our spend particularly on the on you know the, the six to seven scaled platforms that we're buying on today. so Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, uh, search and, and, and programmatic has allowed us to get certain scale that we could um, uh, measure uh, you know, in store. Um, we have shifted most of our spend sixty five to eighty percent of it to uh, in app, so matching device IDs um, on the back end in store. and then again, um, you know we're having more and more and larger conversations with our retail partners versus third party data that have the sales data and how we can work together um, uh, with them and and have almost uh, open hands of, of, of poker and and, up and, uh, and how we do business so that um, we, we share our data and what we 're doing to make media work and they 're showing us the results. Is there a platform you 're spending less on? No, because we were spending so little on, on digital, I think. What we found was that, um, you know, YouTube, uh, when you don't have a, a layer of, of fraud and, and viewability, um, kind of undercutting that, that spend, is pretty much, uh, you know, less uh, uh, difficult to, to do well. Facebook, their team is just so amazing that it's really easy to do well. Search is so mature, it's uh, easy to do well. We're spending more time where we think, um, you know, we could really win is on Twitter and, and Amazon and programmatic. Uh, or to two that are newer, the more leverage you can pull, and there's more opportunities for us to be better than uh, you know, the next OTC or, or CPG company.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, I had a question regarding creative. So assuming your supply chain's getting better or as good as you have it, agency, tech stack, whatnot, percentage-wise, programmatically, on creative and content, how much are you spending? You, don't, you can give rough percentages versus traditional where... CPG brand has television creative, they know it's one size fits most, but you have very powerful creative.
2: How much relatively, are now let's say you trust it, how much are you now going to trust the informed decision on creative? And it's interesting to me how you, getting into those numbers and how you identify what to personalize versus what not to, in terms of using programmatic to personalize the message in those channels. So um, we we definitely um, pay more for digital creative than we, than we should. So I think as part of this transition, the the media and, and data and operations part of it um, came first and fairly quickly. I think now we're, we're looking at um, how our staffing creative and how many headcount they're putting towards, you know, making one uh, image for a Pinterest post, which uh, when you dive into the numbers, you know, it doesn't necessarily line up. Um, so, we are uh, working closely with our tech partners, and one of the reasons why having in-house expertise and not having a filter of an agency is great is that we're really working closely with Facebook and Google and Amazon on creative production, which um, partners they see doing a really great job, really efficient, so testing out folks like uh, VidMob on, on, on Facebook that are just a lot cheaper a lot um, uh, quicker in terms of turnaround time. So. Um, I still believe, I think we looked at this big creative idea in TV production format. Now we're creating storyboards for TV that should not only work for a TV commercial, but should work for a YouTube where we have um, six to eight, ten seconds, brand at the end, Facebook and feed YouTube, brand front-loaded. You get it in the first four seconds, all storyboarded, some with the TV production, some with our VidMob and more iterative uh, social and mobile platform uh, creative companies. But it's going to be... A, I think, a longer process going into the second half of the year and into 2019. But clearly, the amount that we're paying our, our, our digital agency of record and creative and the way that teams are structured um, is, is not lined up with how we're buying today. Okay. Cool. Paul, thanks. Yeah. Thank
0: you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Leave us a review we'd love to read what you think or you can email me at, aditi at digiday.com. thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode